the new standard in performance and safety. At 35,490 fully equipped and seven year warranty, the all new MGHS is value you've never seen before. Madge, Ben, Madge, and welcome to Gibbo Goes 101. Mate, how are you? First of all, congrats on the retirement, on the career. Um, has it all set in yet that you won't be running around putting your body through hell for the next however many years? <laughs> yeah, it's a bit uh, mixed emotions. I mean, it wasn't about me so much, so I haven't had any regrets. Uh, been pretty flat out with Xavi, um, you know, getting into all his therapies and full-time dad now with with mac and zay so it is the hardest job <clears throat> i've ever had in my life um basketball is a piece of cake compared to this so hats off to all the parents out there but um no it's been it's been enjoyable you know being able to use the weekends with the family and during the week help out more and uh, i'm enjoying it a lot obviously it's only early days but what's been the hardest part is it you know not knowing that you're not going to be able to get out there and run around and, you know, part of being with teams is you hang with your mates and playing games and stuff. Is that the hardest part you think? Obviously, it hasn't probably set in yet, but, you know, moving forward? Yeah, definitely. I mean, I really miss all the banter, um, you know, waking up and going to hang out with uh, 15 of your mates, you know, for the day is pretty awesome. Now, sometimes, you know, I only talk to a three and a half and a one and a half year old for a week. So <laughs> besides my wife when she gets back from work. So yeah, I definitely miss being around the boys and all the wonderful relationships um, you, you have along the way, but also um, starting a new routine, you know? So I used to be so stringent with diet and, and exercise and, and everything like that. Now, you know, I guess at 12 o'clock, I haven't had breakfast. And uh, so it's a completely different world for me. So um, I'm trying to embrace it the best I can, but um, yeah, I definitely miss miss the banter and the boys, you know, and getting into the into practice and the weight room and things like that, where everything's kind of set out for you. And now, you know, you're kind of on your own, but um, it's exciting new challenges. Um, you're in Sydney now. Is that where I think you're in Sydney now? Is that where you're gonna you'll call home and um, you know? If Sydney happened to, you know, pop up and be like, hey, Maz, like, we'd love to, you know, sign you for a year. Is that something that might, you know, come into play or are you kind of content with being done and just, you know, looking after the family now? Yeah, no, there was definitely some options there um, to be able to play um, for uh, both Illawarra and Sydney and, and some other teams. But, um, yeah, ultimately it wasn't about basketball, um, about opportunities um, because, uh yeah, with with my situation with Zave, um, that made it easy to. I mean, not easy because you know my agent kept ringing and saying, you know, would you like to do this and that, and I said, look, I really can't. And and when I finally called it, um, that was uh, probably a bit of a relief. Um, not umming and ahhing about should I, shouldn't I. And um, yeah, and once I did, um, of course, I, I still love playing basketball and and all the things that come along with that, but. Um, I haven't really looked back um, or haven't really had a chance to, so I've been, I've been pretty flat out. Your wife, Bria, obviously like all mums and wives, has obviously been a complete soldier and a rock for a pro athlete, travelling all around the world, looking after two boys, obviously with, you know, Zave and, and now Mac. Um, she obviously must have been a massive part of the success you've had and um, moving forward as well. 
Yeah, I mean, she's been incredible. Um, I owe a lot to, um, you know, my career to her, but also just um, helping me become the person I am today. Um, I think when I first told her about my dreams to, to go to Europe, um, she was picturing, uh, like, the beach in Barcelona and, and you know, um, the Amalfi Coast in Italy. But, um, you know, playing in Europe's a lot different to, to going on a holiday there. So... Um, you know, it was extremely challenging for her. Um, she gave birth twice um, and all the unknowns of, of playing in Europe, where you're going to be year in, year out. Um, after my first year in Belgium, um, I really wanted to play Euro Cup or, or Euro League. And um, the time kept going going on in, in free agency. And um, I had knocked back a few offers that weren't uh, in Euro Cup or Euro League. And Sydney came with a really good offer um, when they had the new ownership group with Gazy and, um, and Jeff Van Groningen there. And we had a lot of chats and I was really close to coming back home. And Bria, um, being seven months pregnant at the time, she said, don't be silly. You know, you came over here to, to reach your goals and, and um, you know, don't even think about going home now. You're gonna, it's all going to work out for you. And, and so we went from Airbnb to Airbnb. We'd only get one week at a time. Um, we were in Antwerp, Belgium at the time and I was completely stressed and she just held it totally together and and then I signed with Leah Kablis in, in Lithuania, Euro Cup team and uh, I guess the rest is history. I was able to accomplish everything I wanted to in Europe and um, without her, I probably would have signed straight away back with Sydney. So um, little things like that, or not little, but huge things like that have really uh, helped me with my career and and now she's doing fantastic with her career. Um, she worked remotely um, for five years, really, because Melbourne as well um, was still away from Sydney. Um, and she was able to do really well. And, um, and now it's also time for me to give back to her career. Um, so I just try and, you know, um, look after the boys and the household and do all those things. And she can... Um, be able to work and uh, and focus on that because um, you know she did put in uh, a lot of hard yards for me and uh, I owe her dearly. I'm assuming and probably one of the hardest things you've ever had to go through is um, finding out that you know Xavier's been diagnosed with autism. That must have been you know crushing for you guys as a family and whatnot. How's that whole whole process been? I guess like being around in this last year, he's one of the funniest little guys. Like he definitely gets yeah. his aggression from his dad, but. Just an awesome, <laughs> awesome little dude to be around. Like, loves playing sport and kicking footies and shooting hoops yeah. and whatever. Like, how has that kind of whole process been? Yeah, so uh, when we're in Europe, my wife kind of picked something up pretty early, um, especially when I went on the road. Um, and I would come home and he'd be happy to see me. And I thought she was kind of overplaying it a little bit. Um, and I regret, regret that um, now in hindsight. Um, but as you know, we, we moved to Melbourne and then and uh, I got to see spend a lot more time with him, not being on the road so much in Europe. Um, we started the process of getting him assessed, you know, by psychologists and everything. And, and yeah, he was diagnosed with, with autism, which um, was a big change, but it was also um, a big, uh, not relief, but it was good to know um, what, what was actually going on, uh, what was the issues. And then, you know, that was the first step in a long process to be able to give him the best chance at life and, and being able to go to a mainstream school and everything like that. So, um, yeah, we've been 
just putting in a lot of work. Um, Bria does a lot of research as well and seeing a lot of different people and therapists about, uh, you know, what will be best for him. We change his whole diet. Um, we put him on a lot of supplements, even some antibiotics and different things to, to try and be able to help him um, because he's also been diagnosed with pan pandas which is a pediatric autoimmune neuropsychotic disorder and it's associated with strep. So a lot of kids get strep throat mm -hmm. um, and some kids uh, get a really bad infection uh, and then they get inflammation on their brain and things like that. So he's been diagnosed with that as well. So um, yeah, we've just been on a long journey, um, but now it is, it is good to be able to get a lot more support because when you don't know what it is, whether it's autism or, or pandas or whatever um, diagnosis he has, um, it's hard to get the support. But now, you know, we've been able to talk to a lot of people and that was one of the reasons I did the, uh, the farewell post was um, to let everyone know, you know, that we're there for them as well. And um, I've had um, some old teammates reach out to me, some um, opposition wives, um, of opposition players have reached out to Bria and started that conversation. So um, that's been really positive and, and Zay's doing really well with all his therapies and um, you know, he's, he's taken to it really well. So um, yeah, like I said, the formative years um, are the most important. So it's three and a half now. So if we can really uh, get on top of it and give him the best help and the best chance at life before he's five, um, before he starts real school, that's um, hopefully giving the best shot. Yeah, I noticed on your post you were reaching out if anyone needed any help or advice to, to reach out and chat to you guys. Like it, it seems like obviously everyone's going through the same thing, kind of band together. Obviously, Joe Ingles yeah. is, um, you know, young son Jacob is has the same same kind of issues. If, if they kind of reached out, have you been able to talk to, to them or seen kind of how they've gone about their their stuff with Jacob? Yeah, I've been following his journey and um, well, I haven't reached out um, about um, Jacob and Zabe yet, but um, I'll definitely have a conversation with him down the line. And, um, you know, the autism spectrum is so wide now. So some kids are, are completely different to others in their situations. Um, you know, like Zabe's very social, uh, you know, great at, great at sport and stuff like you've seen, but struggles in other areas. Um, so emotional regulation and, and separation anxiety and things like that. So, um, yeah, I think, um, you know, although everyone's situation's different, um, like you said, everyone bands together and um, there's a lot of support groups out there. And I think the research and um, the conversations about autism um, is, is becoming more prevalent and that there's more um, ch children um, that are, are uh, having this diagnosis where, um, you know, and it really helps for families to be able to just talk to someone and also be heard because um, for our journey, you know, for about 18 months, um, we just got told, oh, he's fine, he's fine, yeah. um, because he was really social and, and people would say, you know, there's nothing wrong with him and, um, you know, we don't care about any labels or anything like that. It's more just about getting him the help, help that he needs and, um, to be able to, you know, now do that and be on that that path is is good for us. You obviously grew up in quite a sporty family. I don't know what your your mum and dad ate <laughs> growing up, but to produce uh, obviously yourself a you know professional basketballer all across the world, 
your sister Tess, who Opals, um, you know, WNBL star, and, and Jack as well, who now plays for Collingwood, used to play basketball. Like, that yeah. must have been a pretty competitive household growing up in the backyard. I know I remember playing against, um, in my first preseason here, the Opals would come down and would play, like, scrimmage games against them. So the girls would be on one court. Yeah. And Tess was probably more fiery than you on court, throwing elbows and bumping and stuff. That must have been some uh, unbelievable yeah. battles in the backyard. Yeah, well, my eldest sister, too, she's a psychologist, but she was pretty handy at sport as well. She played softball and netball, but she never gets to run, so I have to put her in there, too. But, yeah, we used to um, play a lot, a lot of two-on-one, um, Jack and Tess versus me, and, yeah, it usually ended up in a few fights, either Jack and Tess fighting because they lost or, or they're both trying to beat me up. But, yeah, it was, it was very competitive growing up, but I think it, it really built a bond that... Um, we have now that we talk about anything and um, especially about the challenges of sport, you know, with um, Jack in the AFL, you know, in one week, out the next. And um, he has to show a lot of resilience to keep going in, in that kind of scenario. And then Tessie, you know, she did her ACL um, over in Poland and then to be able to get back and get into the World Cup team in the Opals and um, you know, sport and, and life has a lot of challenges. And I think growing up together, being super competitive and, and having that sport as a, the common kind of goal with all of us um, has really built our relationship into, into something that we can be really proud of now as a family. Um, we're very close knit and um, we're always standing, excuse me, in contact. Um, obviously, growing up in Adelaide, the Adelaide Crows, are, I think, are your, your favourite team, but... You all, all three, I don't know your older sister um, at all, but the, the three others, you all seem to have a, that aggressive side. Is that from the football side of things? Like growing up, like I've, I've seen you kick a footy. I know you're pretty handy on a footy field, but was that just growing up around footy with Adelaide and the Crows and whatnot and watching games and stuff? Obviously, Jack now plays, but is that where you think that aggressive yeah. side comes? Because I know when I grew up playing football, that's where I use my hip and shoulders and, and that side <laughs> of things. I've copped a few of those. Yeah, um... Well, my dad was, was really good at footy, um, but he blew both his knees out, I think, at about 22. But his nickname was Mag, because imagine, but they just used to uh, abbreviate it to Mag because apparently he was nuts on the footy field, Mark, <laughs> tell me a few stories. So, um, but yeah, I mean, growing up, you know, if we got hurt on basketball or footy, we'd just hear dad yelling from the sideline, don't cry, don't cry, <laughs> just screaming that, his foghorn voice. And um yeah, we just grew up being, I think, brought up as that kind of um, hard-nosed kind of <laughs> player. And from a very young age, that's all I remember was not allowed to cry and um, go in. Dad always used to say, <laughs> go in hard and you won't get hurt. So we always used to go in head first. And I see that with Xavier now, which is um, a bit uh, concerning. <laughs> <laughs> no regard for his own safety. So... Um, you know, it probably led to a few more injuries, I think. But um, I definitely think that aggression um, on the court or, or the field for all of us has helped us in our sporting lives, um, but also got us into a bit of trouble, you know, throwing chairs and, and different <laughs> things. Like that. So. I forgot about that throwing chair. I didn't have that to bring up, but I'm hoping that up later. That was, that was an impressive throw. Um, do you have a, a favourite sibling? I know, you, I know you're going to give me a... Generic answer here, but do you have a, a favourite sibling? Oh, I can't choose, but 
Um, no, I love them all dearly, but Carly never gets a run and she gets pretty disappointed. So I'm going to have to go Carly's. I love that. I love yeah. that. Um, now, I know I know a lot of like a lot of stuff. Obviously, you do what you do on the court, but a big focus has been, you know, making an impact, I guess, off the court. You started Madge's Message of Hope, I think, in Sydney. Um, what was all that? Yeah. And I know you guys, I think you've done some Indigenous work going to remote areas. I know Jack's been with you on some trips and stuff. Um, talk me through that yeah. and Madge's Message of Hope. Yeah, so, well, first, before I get into it, that's probably the thing that I'm going to miss the most when I was just thinking about it the other day is um, the instant kind of impact you can have on, on kids and the youth in societies, you know, as a basketball player or, or an athlete, um, you know, kids look up to your role model and you have such a unique experience and opportunity to be able to uh, impact um, children's lives positively. Um, so I think that's going to be probably the hardest thing that I'm going to struggle with, um, you know, not playing and, and not being a professional athlete. Uh, but Madden's message of hope came about, it was actually over Christmas time, I was playing for Sydney Kings. Uh, we do a lot of hospital visits. Um, and there was a lot of children there that, um, you know, were stuck in the hospital over Christmas. And we obviously play through that period. Um, and uh, what talking to the parents, a lot of parents of sick children, um, you know, struggle for money or their siblings, you know, get kind of left behind because all the, focuses on the sick child and uh, I thought what what how can I give back or or make an initiative to to help these families you know have a really good night or day so I uh, went to the Kings with an idea of getting um, the sick children and their whole family um, to a game you know completely free from parking transport um, the tickets and then after the game making it a really special experience by me and uh, maybe another player coming up, um, just chatting to the children about the game. A lot of them had never come to a basketball game um, and signing some, some merchandise and, and just making it really special for them. So um, the Kings are really good and um, we got 20 or 40 tickets all together for Children's Hospital at Westmead and, and Randwick Children's Hospital. Um, and the response was amazing. Um, you know, even... The doctors were saying that, that kids were saying, I've got to get out of the hospital by Friday to go watch the Kings. And um, they're like, you know, they've been bedridden for three weeks. And then all of a sudden, you know, they'd kind of get the energy and, and have something to really look forward to. And, and it would build them up for that week and they'd be able to come to the game. And, um, you know, sometimes we'd lose and you'd go up there feeling pretty, pretty crappy. And then you'd talk to the kids and, you know, you'd automatically forget about the game. So for me... It was really rewarding. Um, and, you know, I had one kid, I still have it to me uh, to this day, I think it was 2013, he gave me his little good luck charm that he got through ICU with and I was like, oh my God. So little things like that, I mean, um, you know, I still kiss that before every game. So it's pretty special, the little things you pick up over the years and the, and the friendships and just to see those kids um, have a great time and, and their whole families as well. You know, the other kids in the family and the mum and dad. So, um, yeah, that was something that um, came about kind of randomly, but I'm really happy that, uh, you know, the Kings were really supportive with it as well and it was able to take off. 
That's amazing. I mean, obviously that would have impacted their whole life, being stuck in hospital and being able to come out and experience a game and that whole that whole day would have changed their whole world, I, I would imagine. So that's, I mean, I didn't know that you'd done that, but that's that's amazing. Um, obviously you, you've been in college, um, you came back, signed with the Kings. Um, the, did you ever want to play or did, you know, with the 36ers and at your hometown, um, I think in 2014 you came to our grand, grand final series against Perth and... It was game two and just being, I, I watched your video before, but being in the crowd or just being in that game, hearing the noise of that venue was amazing. Like to play in front of that Adelaide crowd was pretty special. Is that something that you wish you could have done over your career to play in Adelaide? Yeah, it's a weird one because I was a development player there in, with Phil Smythe, was the coach. Yeah. Um, and yeah, I really enjoyed my time there, but... Um, Adelaide has, had kind of been notorious for letting some players slip through some local talent. So, I mean, we all know that Joe Ingalls, the Barker with the, the name spelt wrong, but Mules um, and, and a lot of good South Australian players that never ended up playing for the 36ers, but would have all probably liked to. So, um, for me, you know, now um, towards the end of my career, I really wanted to go to place where I could set up for after basketball. Yeah. Uh, and I see, see that in Sydney or, or that's why uh, one of the reasons we chose Melbourne as well. Um, my family's still there and I would have loved to have played in front of them. Um, but, you know, we they got to come watch me play there when we were on the road or they'd come over to Sydney or Melbourne quite a bit. But, yeah, it definitely would have been nice um, to play for Adelaide. and um, But, you know, Sydney gave me... A, uh, a shot um, and Adelaide had every opportunity to, to sign me um, and, I, and I probably would have gone to be honest straight out of college but Sydney gave me my first shot and um, yeah I never looked back once I got to Sydney I, I didn't really want to leave um, besides Europe and then obviously with, with South East Melbourne. You're in Sydney for five years. You, you did a fair bit of damage. You're a rookie of the year your first year in 2011. 2013 was a hell of a year. You were the most improved, you were all NBL first team, the leading scorer of the league, um, and part of the 25th anniversary team. Like that was obviously a pretty special year, and to kind of achieve all that in five years uh, is pretty special, I guess, time in Sydney. Yeah, I love my time with Sydney. You know, it was really a special time because my rookie year was the first year back for the club. Um, so I was totally new structure. Uh, it was almost like this year um, with us, you know, building it back up from the ground up. So um, it was really special time. And um, there were so many people there that I still talk to and, um, and have great, great friendships uh, with. So, yeah, I wouldn't take that time back um, for Sydney for anything. It was great. I also met my wife, Bria, in Sydney and now call Sydney home. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was kind of meant to be, I think. You um you played in Belgium, Lithuania, Germany. They're the three. Is, do you have a yeah. favourite? Do you have a favourite out of all those? That, or Sydney, um, Melbourne, like that you've you've preferred and yeah. just love playing. Well, Lithuania for basketball was incredible. Um, you know, it's it's a religion there. They don't really play any other sports, just basketball. Um, and yeah, the competition's incredible. You got flares going off. Um, when I played for Retus, the Retus-Sagres um, rivalry was, uh, you know, one of the best in Europe. It's, it's incredible. And 
Um, the living there is a lot harder than other places. So um, my wife definitely wouldn't say that was her favourite. Belgium, the, uh, the people were incredible, I remember. Um, you know, we still have lots of lifelong friends there. Um, the community just got around the team and, and um, us as a family um, so, so well. So, yeah, Belgium was probably the best place to live and then Lithuania for the basketball was incredible. Obviously, when you go to a new team or start a new season, you get tested. You have to pass medicals. Um, you know, the European, I've seen you on a treadmill with masks and all kind of stuff. Connected <laughs> to you. I've seen, you know, our Phoenix testings where you're doing 48 calf raises on, like, your big toe and stuff. <laughs> like, is it harder to, to complete a medical in Europe? It seems like it's a lot more advanced with all the, you know, the masks and the testing, all that stuff. Yeah. But is one harder than the other? Yeah, well, Europe was weird because they don't really tell you anything. Like, they just hook you up and they say, okay, run on the treadmill. So, and then about every maybe minute or two minutes gets progressively faster. So I'm like, oh, they must just, you get a sweat up a little bit, make sure your heart's going all right, beating all right. No joke, this went for like 30-something minutes and I was dying. Like, I'm in full sprint, just sweating. I got all these scenes coming off me. And I'm trying to breathe through, ask through this mask, like, how much longer? And she's like, just keep going. Just keep going. They pretty much just keep you going till you collapse. So eventually I just jumped off, put both feet on the side, and I'm like, I'm done. She's like, oh, very good, very good. I'm like, I'm not past yet. Yeah, you passed. But um, yeah, going on the calf raises, uh, you'd be pretty dirty about that when your mom was sore for about three weeks. The first, the very first day I got to Melbourne, I'm going to do this this medical and Av and Wiggy had me doing like, they just, all right, do a plank. I'm like, well, how long for? Like, we'll, we'll tell you. I'm like, that doesn't help me. Like literally the calf raises, the lunges, the holds, like all this stuff. It was like, I was literally sore for two weeks. Um, yeah. I was just intrigued with the difference because it just looks like there's so much going yeah. on in Europe with all the masks and the, everything connected to your body. But um, yeah. yeah. No, it's definitely weird because, yeah, they don't talk you through anything. Yeah, it's just pretty much just do what you're told and, and hope, hope for the best. Um, your time in Sydney, you were, you were coached by, you know, NBL Australian legend basketballer Shane Hill. Um, I got to spend one Australian campaign where he was our assistant coach um, and just an unbelievable person to, to have on your bench as a, more as a guard. Um, he, he worked a lot with us guys. We're just picking up stuff and helping you with workouts and moves and reading the game. Um, talk me through your time with Hammer. I know he's worked you out in off-season when you've been back and his workouts are next level, like really good. Um, talk me through your time with Hammer. Yeah, Hammer was a huge uh, influence on my basketball career. Um, you know, I, I don't know if like everyone... Um, succeeds um, to their potential under him because he really likes you to work hard. Um, and that's what I really like to do. Um, I like a, a tough coach who really challenges me. Um, and his workouts um, are awesome. Um, they're tough. Um, they push you both physically and mentally. Um, but, you know, my game, that was 2013. Um, the year you talked about when I led the league in scoring and made NBL first team was under Hammer. And we just, we worked every day just extremely hard. And um, he has a great mentality of um, helping everyone on the team improve. 
Um, and that's what I really loved. You really put the time in. We'd do individuals, but it also break down the games uh, and break down, you know, how you're feeling during the game. I remember in Cairns, I reckon I was about 2 or 12 or something from the field, um, and he pulled me aside and he said, uh, you're going to make your next two shots and you're going to win us a game. And there was like a minute left, and I was like, fuck. Because by this stage, you know, you're feeling like, oh, I don't really even want to shoot anymore. And, um, and yeah, I made my next two shots and we ended up winning by a point. Um, and just little things like that, like instilling confidence in you um, is incredible. Um, but also, you know, he broke down a lot of film with me, um, helped me improve, you know, setting my man up off screens, coming off ball screens. Um, he also challenged me defensively. Um, so, man, my game went to next level and I wouldn't have made it, um, I don't think, in Europe without him. Um, even in Europe, I'd call him with challenges um, and he would help me, you know, talk through them. Um, in Retis, I had a really tough coach um, and Shane just gave me some great advice, you know, about just focus on being a great teammate uh, and let the other stuff take care of itself. And that really just helped me um, you know, focus on something besides, you know, your performance or whatever, something easy and intangible. And, and that helped, really helped me get back on track and, and finish the season strong. So, yeah, I owe a lot to, to Shane and um, I loved his system. You know, he loved guard play, which was awesome. So um, it really suited me. And, uh, yeah, we're still friends to this day, you know, catch up for a beer here or there and um, watch some footy. So... Yeah, he's a, he's a good good man. He certainly loves guards, and that's awesome for us because he wants us to shoot every shot. And, hey, yeah. if you do this, and he's always on the big success screens and just pick and roll yeah. and whatever, but you can just see, listen to him on commentary, like his knowledge of the game and understanding yeah. and what would work is, um, I mean, that's obviously why he's one of our best ever guards to play for our country. But Yeah, and I also used to love when you got a mismatch because a lot of um, coaches want you to go the big in the post. And he's like, no, nah, guard, you shoot it, break the man down, shoot it, and the big will get the rebound if you miss. I thought it was perfect. Unreal. Um, now, obviously, you, you finished your career back in Melbourne with the Phoenix. Like, for me, that's for a startup club, it's probably one of the most professional I've played for. Just coming in from day one and having everything given to us, you know, Angelo with the food and the whole setup and just everything around it, it was, for me, it was super impressive for year one. Yeah, yeah. I mean, when I walked in, I remember um, Shorty, Rowan Short said, look, Benny, we really want to make this feel like it's an established club. You come in and everything's set up. And um, I thought, oh, that would be pretty hard, you know, for a first year club. But it really did. You know, we had, like you said, Angela as chef and the, um, the coaching, the facilities, everything was just was just right on point. And you know, I think we started the season really well and, and probably a few injuries and, and some, you know, like some chemistry things that you build up over time, a couple of years together would have really helped us finish the season strong. But um, I think it was still a really big success with, you know, the support support base and, um, and everything else going on at the club, in the community, I think is uh, it's a fantastic stepping stone. And um, I know you guys will do really well this year. Uh, you know, it's going to be a tough, uh, tough competition. You know, you look at all the teams across the league, but, um, you know, another year together, you've got the core together there now and uh, it's a good new recruit. So I'll be watching closely. I just think that, like, from the start, you know, you, you, Tommy Greer, obviously a past player, knows, as a GM, knows what 
kind of you need as a player and to run mm. a team and, and all that stuff. And just the people they had around, obviously Eric was, you know, first class at his job and just filters all the way down. I'm, I'm sure, I'm assuming every club has, you know, great people like Brock and Ab yeah. and Wiggy and whatnot, but just that group of people just felt like they all kind of blended well together. Yeah, absolutely. I thought it was so professional. Like anything you needed was never too much, too much of an ask or, you know, some family issues here or there for me. And, um, yeah, go sort your family out first and then, you know, come back to, to uh, the next day or whatever it was. So, no, it was really, really good. And um, that's why I think the foundation descent, like you said about Tommy, Tommy's a great guy off the court as well. And, you know, I've had GMs in, in Europe and you don't realise how good a GM until you get until you go to Europe of how good Tommy is because, you know, we had GMs coming in at half time, you know, spitting on the walls and kicking <laughs> kicking trash cans and, you know, ripping off chalkboards and stuff and screaming, you're not going to get paid this month if you guys don't win and stuff like that, you know. And then you get Tommy and, how's the family, mate? You know, everything all right? Need anything? And, no, nah, I'm all right. Like, you could play a shocking game. He, you know, he just keeps it so professional. So, yeah, no, I think Phoenix is, uh, is in good shape. I hope you haven't just given Tommy a whole bunch of ideas. Come, <laughs> down by ten and a half. Tommy comes in throwing whiteboards and telling us we're not getting paid. Well, I hope he doesn't watch this. To be honest, um, one of our uh, one of our two videos, um, Av, we've got Wiggy and Av, and Av he reckons he listens to my podcast, and I challenge him every week. But he always sends me through some questions. So he sent through a couple of uh, questions, um, and actually proper, really good questions. They're not dickhead questions, but. <laughs> Um, what what motiv- motivated you in your career or throughout your career to obviously be successful? Yeah, so I have like, um, I, I guess I was never really the most talented or, uh, you know, naturally gifted player. So um, I just had this real burning desire to be successful um, at whatever I did, especially basketball. So um, I knew... Um, from an early age that the only way that I was going to make it uh, to a professional level was to outwork anyone. So um, for me, I just, I tried to um, put in the most hours of whichever team I was in, I always wanted to be the hardest worker. So whenever I left, I would say, yeah, he worked the hardest. Um, And so, you know, my early years in Sydney, if I would get to the gym, you know, an hour and a half early to shoot before every practice, um, and if someone beat me there, then the next day I'd get there even earlier. So, you know, I'll be there sometimes two and a half hours before practice to be able to, um, you know, work and, and get a shot to the level it needed to be. And, um, yeah, I think as, as my career went on, um, probably on the court, um, dropped off a little bit because I had to be more efficient. But then I tried to pick that up with recovery and um, doing other things like that. So... Um, what motivated me the most was just to be able to get the most out of um, the talent that I had and probably try and over-exceed, um, you know, the, the talent talent levels that I was blessed with um, to be able to have a career where, you know, I, I played for over a decade. And I think, um, you know, you see some guys that don't probably work as hard, but they're more naturally gifted um, and they can probably get away with it. But for someone like myself, um, you know, I always felt, um, if I didn't didn't work out or didn't shoot that day, then I didn't deserve to play well. So um, my motivation came from you know working hard to be able to feel like I deserve deserve success. 
Um, I know you've only been back in the NBL for one year away for a while, but another one he asked was that the NBL player you respect most and why. And obviously you've been away for a, a long time and I'm sure yeah. maybe someone like a Shane Hill or of older days, but... Um, yeah. Well, I think um, the two people that I respected uh, playing against was uh, Mika Vakona. I really, I respected him a lot, um, I still do. And um, Damian Mann, who also just recently retired. Um, we just had um, some big battles, and um, but also just um, getting to know those guys off the court as well. Um, like fantastic, fantastic humans. And, um, you know, like I get pretty aggressive on the court and, and so do those guys at times, but um, they're also guys that off the court, you just, uh, you know, it's all forgotten and, and everything's, everything's, you know, kind of jokey and having a good laugh. And I think that's the way it should be. You know, people often see me off the court and they're like, um, geez, like, you're not a bad bloke. Like, I thought you were a complete wanker, you know, like, you just <laughs> on the court, you're, uh, you're aggressive and white line fever. But off the court, nothing really phases me. You know, I'm very chilled and, um, you know, I like to have a laugh. And I think, you know, people that just watch the games, um, I was a bit surprised by that. <laughs> um, you have a favourite teammate you played with over years? Oh, that's a good one. Uh, I know um, Luke Cooper um, told me that he could, <laughs> he could probably drink about four coffees by the time he got one conversation out because you take so long to get one out. Yeah, but, um, he's off my list because... Uh, yeah, he's always giving it to me, but uh, no, nah, I like Coops. Um, but no, nah, I've, I've played with a lot of great, great teammates like yourself and, uh, you know, guys like Julian Kazoo, um, who we only met through through Sydney. Um, and he actually thought I was a development player the first year, which I was pretty dirty <laughs> about for the first couple of weeks. But yeah, then I ended up being in his wedding, you know, so friendships like that along the way and, you know, countless more that, um, you know, great teammates, Tommy Garlip, um, you know, Creaky, guys like that. The year we only spent a short time together, but, um, you know, guys that you always remember for the friendships and the good laughs. And, you know, even Kyle Adnan was a fantastic guy this year, got along so well, him and Dane. And, um, yeah, I mean, you get also some, some imports that I play with and, and local guys in Europe that, you know, we still catch up with now um, and talk all the time. So, yeah, lots of good. good hardest, um, hardest opponent or hardest guy you played against? Uh, I'd probably say uh, Kevin Pangos was really quite, quite a handful for Zagros. Um, I used to like he he was very aggressive guarding. He used to get in my body, but I was taller than him, so I could still get my jump shot off over him. But um, offensively, he was he was a handful because especially in um, um, Yuskavich's system there, um, the Lithuanian um, coach for Zagoras, and he would just have him on point. And, you know, he'd set you up so well for the ball screens and it was so hard to guard. And I think, you know, we saw a glimpse of him, what he can do when he played for Canada against the Boomers here for, for people that don't really watch European basketball. But, yeah, he was, he was a, a very good player. Um, now I'm I'm pretty sure like for for now it's well, what's next is for you is obviously being a dad and, and taking care of your boys is that I 
I mean, for the near future, but, you know, somewhere down the track, yeah. obviously a super smart player, like somewhere involved with the club, coaching, um, maybe you're talking about some stuff. No, I think you're doing your MBA and, um, and yeah. that stuff. What, what are you, what's your plan for the future moving forward? Yeah, so the next few months will just be focused on Xavier and the boys and then um, eventually I want to get into business. So I've got my Bachelor of Business Management and my MBA. Um, so I'd love to do, to work in business. Um, I did an internship at QBE with uh, one, a great mentor, Justin Papps, um, and I really enjoyed it. They did a culture, uh, culture overhaul there at the time. Um, so I'd really love to get into leadership and culture in the business world, but also not naive to the fact that, you know, I'm 35 and, and starting a real job for the first time. So. <laughs> Um, you know, I would just want to get my foot in the door um, and then take it from there. But, um, yeah, the ultimate goal would be in the, in the culture and leadership setting. I think that would be fantastic and something that, you know, I could use all the skills that I've learned through basketball um, and sport in, in that business role. Part of, I mean, I, I interviewed Damo yesterday and him and Mick both talk about rings and relationships. The relationship side, I think, once I'm finish playing is the, you know, the, the contact you have with people, the road trips, all this stuff, and obviously yeah. going out and, and I guess those kind of memories, I think people like us will probably remember the most. I understand that the, uh, the stanky leg comes out from time to time when you're out and about <laughs> on a couple of beers. It's your favorite dance move. Yeah. Well, it's my only dance move. So <laughs> I have to bring it out. <laughs> yeah. I'm pretty notorious for bringing that one out after a couple of schooners. So um yeah hopefully it stays in the bag for a little bit longer but um yeah next time i have a good night out in the town that'll be that'll be it but well, who knows with uh covid it might be uh for a few years yet now injuries are not like they're obviously you know a tough tough thing to deal with now i'm going to leave the the main one till the end but um i've seen you like you had a broken hand like what other kind of major injuries besides yanka which i'll get to with you kind of hadn't yeah. dealt with yeah, well, uh, I broke my hand in Lithuania and then, um, but I was pretty lucky because all my injuries, I didn't really miss any games. Um, besides the hand, everything else, I didn't miss a game for about eight years because they happened in the off season, like the ankle. But, um, you know, I dislocated my shoulder against you guys. Peach thought he was in a rodeo and rode me to the ground, dislocated my, my shoulder and then... It got popped back in out the back. And I remember it was in Adelaide. You might remember this as well, because I still remember you. Uh, there was a ring out there and I, um, the physio popped my shoulder back in and he was like, oh, all right, you will strap it up and put some ice on. I said, oh no, just give me a basketball, see if I can shoot on this ring. So I shot a couple of shots and the adrenaline must be pumping so fast through my body that I couldn't really feel. I'm like, yeah, I can shoot, I'm good. So I went out, told Hammer, I'm good, put me back in. So he put me back in and you were guarding me, I still remember. So you were like, I would come off screens and you kept yanking on my arm. <laughs> so every time I'd run, you'd yank on oh. And then, uh, but I got through the game. Uh, I think we won, so I'll bring that up. And, um, I got to the, the airport lounge and the adrenaline wore off and man, the pain. I needed one of those green whistles like they gave <laughs> But yeah, I didn't end up missing any games. So that was um, not bad until I dislocated again a couple of years later before I went to Europe um, in one of the last games of the season. Uh, what else? 
yeah, just a couple of rolled ankles and uh, pulled calf. But yeah, I was I was relatively lucky. Touch wood. I'm gonna get. I'll get to the last, the other one in a sec. But talk me through the whole chair throw. I had forgotten about that. But like, what was going through your mind when I think you took a charge or you went for a lap and got knocked over, and then you just happened to see a chair at um, the cage in Melbourne, and then just happened to just grab it and just toss it the umpire. Like, talk me through the mindset of what happened when you threw that chair. I will admit it looked really bad, but the umpire was not in my intentions of where the chair went. So. Um, first of all, it was really stupid on my behalf and, um, you know, uh, I actually wrote a blog about it. Um, but, uh, yeah, I let the, my emotions get the better of me. It was a fiery game and, um, we were at the cage and I went for a layup and got fouled or didn't get fouled. It didn't matter. I went flying behind the ring and there was a chair, like a metal chair, which the, um, the camera guy sits on. And I landed on it. And it was a few games after I popped my shoulder out against you guys. So my shoulder, I hurt my shoulder again. And the chair was on top of me. So in a rage, I flung it off. And it happened that as I flung it off, the ref went to pick the ball up and it hit the ref in the leg. And I was like, oh, far out. So I quickly grabbed the chair and put it back. And then I uh, apologized to the ref. And... Called him after the game and, and, you know, told him that was not my intention. And he said, yeah, he knew, but, uh, you know, apologise. And, and it was a bad look because, you know, ultimately um, there's kids watching and, you know, if my son did that, I'd be really angry with him. So I told him, you know, I, I, I told the ref, you know, I'm really sorry. And it's got to be a better example and a better role model than that. And um, took the punishment on the chin and, tried to improve um, and never do that kind of thing again. Now, this is not to make light of injuries because they are absolutely horrendous. And this is one of the worst injuries I've ever seen or been a part of. And I swear I've never been out to try and end your career. I forgot about pulling yeah. your shoulder, but <laughs> we're in Perth. We're in a boomers camp. I think we played China game one. We were at the practice facility shooting and we're doing the shooting drill where you're in the corner. I close out from the pass from the coach. You shoot the shot. For whatever reason, somehow you land on my foot. You it was the other way around. You were shooting. I oh, was I shooting. Yeah, I was on D because you know how you jump forward. Right. Shot. Yeah. So anyway, so you land on my foot and your ankle, like instead of going, like is out the other way. Like it was one of the worst, like most. I'm sorry to bring this up. I hope it doesn't. Nah, matter, but. Like one of the worst things I've ever seen. And just like, it was hard to believe the look of just this bone going the complete other way. So you obviously go down in a massive heat, like screaming like crazy. And I just remember Doc at the time was just chilling. Like he was just slowly walking over and we yelling like, come on, hurry up. And later, later he's like, look, you can't um, make the situation worse. You've got to be calm when you approach. And we're like, man. <laughs> so he gets here and you're obviously in unbelievable pain. Um, going crazy, and then the green whistle comes out. <laughs> talk me through. Talk me through that whole kind of. Uh, well, yeah. yeah, it was it was horrible. I remember I came down on your foot, and I thought I just really badly rolled it. So it had like a sharp sensation, and I looked down, and the sole of my shoe was facing up, and that was when I was like, ah. So um, once the green whistle came. Life was good um, for anyone that's ever had horrific injury and they had to have a green whistle. Um, 
And so once I had it, I mean, I don't really remember too much more. Um, um, but the stories that I heard back, I remember, oh, <laughs> you might be able to recount it better, I've but I, heard I was saying that, that we've got to tell everyone that I kept playing on it and, you know, that I'm not soft and all this stuff. Or, but yeah, I can't, honestly, I was that, I mean, high as a kite at the time. So Anthony Petrie, one of my good mates, teammates, he was there and he, he can remember a story like it was yesterday. So I asked him about what you actually said. So to you, you, the whistle, now you're all happy. You've gone from screaming your lungs out to like all happy. And you were like, <laughs> you're like, tell Dre it's all good. Just a sprain or jog it off. That was one of the lines. <laughs> and then the other one was um, tell people Madge took it like a MFG, like... <laughs> <laughs> make sure everyone knows I took it like a gangster kind of thing like you weren't crying you weren't going yeah, off hey, uh, just tell them I took it like a G <laughs> which I totally didn't so um, yeah <laughs> but uh, I just yeah I remember waking up and um, the doc was there next to me I was in hospital with a big plaster on my foot and he said geez you did a good job of it it took him three hours to get it back in so lucky I was out. They just complete, completely put me under and they said they were like three doctors just trying to yank it back in and eventually it went. But yeah, luckily I never did that again. I remember when I first came back, I strapped and had an ankle brace on for about the next season. Felt like I had one peg leg, but uh, yeah, I was lucky to, to make a full recovery um, uh, in a pretty short amount of time went from one of the most horrific things I've ever seen to almost one of the funniest things within like 10 minutes. It was a crazy little stretch of time, but yeah, that was yeah. one memory that I had that was pretty, pretty funny that uh, afterwards looking back now, but yeah. Um, mate, that's all, that's all I had for you. I appreciate you taking time. I know you got your boys to look after and um, like I said before, and I've messaged you, but congrats on the career. Um, you said before about wanting to work hard. I can definitely vouch for that because someone that's in there first and I always used to look after practice. I'm here iced up and sitting down sore as hell and you're out there running around shooting another 30 minutes of jump shots and the Norma text and the recovery and the ice bath and all the every step you took is obviously why you got the most out of your career and achieved what you have. So um, massive props and I think you really set a culture for our club at the Phoenix of what you need to do to, to be a pro. So... Mate, thanks for joining me. All the best with whatever you have next and um, we'll be following closely. And um, yeah, you're always part of our family at the Phoenix for sure. Yeah, likewise, mate. All the best this year. Thanks for having me on and uh, talk soon.